two for one drafts. Oh, buddy. The recap show. The pre, the post game. What a first round. Like we just went, what, five hours? At least, right? It feels like it feels like longer. It feels like we've been doing this all day, all week, maybe. But man, uh, eventful, eventful day to say the least. Let's go. Ahead. So, what we're going to do on this podcast, we're going to recap every single pick of the first round, and then we're going to offer our our recap of the least favorite and favorite picks, and then preview day two. Why don't you kick us off with picks one and two? Quickly move through those. Yeah, I mean, chalk. We knew it was coming. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. That's what we wanted. Like that was what we knew for the last six, three months. I don't know. Everyone knew it was going to happen. It happened. They got their guys. Now they got to build around them. Can we talk about my outfit as well? I mean, the first, I look like a French novelist who writes murder mystery novels with this turtleneck. It's absolutely incredible. I have you got Steve, Steve Jobs vibes over there. It's a Steve Jobs vibe with a mustache. And honestly, I knew, like, thinking of when we're doing the live shows, like, the two full of grass listeners would be roasting me right now, but they are, but it's awesome. All right, going to pick number three. Trey Lance took so much significant movement coming down to number three, and then obviously gets a pick. What'd you take there? Yeah, I, so I predicted the mock. I kept saying, you don't, you don't move heaven and earth for Mac Jones. And Mac Jones obviously falls all the way to 15. So they move heaven and earth for the tools and what Trey Lance can bring to the table. And then you hear afterwards, Trey Lance was always the guy. That was the – he was always the guy that they had their eyes on. They skipped their pro day. They, Kyle Shanahan initially skipped his pro day as a smoke screen. Goes obviously into Mac Jones' pro day, all the whatever. But that was the guy they had their eye on the entire time. I think I said on the show, it feels like a – Feels like a basketball lottery pick where this guy can he can be something totally different from what we saw at the college collegiate level. Like the offense they're running, North Coast State, that's not a pro offense. The guys he's throwing to there, like his accuracy numbers aren't great because they're not adjusting to off-target passes mm-hmm. for him. So I, I do think this is the move. It was either him or Justin Fields that you had to take a three overall. I don't know what the deal with Fields is. We'll get to that a little bit later. But if it was if it wasn't gonna be Fields, it had to be Lance. So what do you ultimately think that this offense is going to look like with Trey Lance? Uh, that's the thing. It's not going to be this year. I, I don't think he comes in and starts. I don't think they're cutting Jimmy G right away. Uh, I think ultimately what it looks like is a lot of the stuff you saw back when they had RG3, where you're getting option looks involved in this running game. That's already one of the most diverse. Like It's not just outside zone. As much as the Shanahans are known for outside zone, they do a lot of different things. And so I, I think you're going to see that but now with just the quarterback as being a weapon in one of those. And I, I cannot wait, man. It is going to be fun to watch. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts this upcoming season. Everyone wants to say he's not necessarily NFL ready. He's not NFL ready from like a experience standpoint. He's 319 attempts. That's why he's not NFL ready. It's not because he can't handle the speed of the NFL game. I think he's going to, once he is up to speed, I think he's going to be starting this year. Yeah, I would agree. I think they they have to start him this year. They have to get him reps. They have to get him experience. This is a guy that needs to develop a ton at the next level. Let's jump to pick number four. We're going to try and move quickly here, then touch on, the, obviously, the favorite and least favorite picks at the end and preview day two. Kyle Pitts, tight end, Florida. I don't think we had opportunities to trade down here. Wasn't, we didn't see trades until a little bit later. I think Kyle Pitts, best non-quarterback in his class, is the obvious selection here. Yeah, so everyone is going to say, we're always going to say, well, trade down if you can at pick four. But – no quarterback comes off the boards until 11. So obviously teams weren't willing to give up or like there was not that desperation and teams didn't think as highly of Justin Fields and maybe Mac Jones as what was initially reported. So at that point, 
just be thankful that you get a guy like Cal Pitts. Like mm-hmm. he is, you know, that dude at the tight end position, straight up 4440, 245 pounds, and still ascending. Like even his tape from 2019, which we love, to this upcoming to, to 2020 was a massive difference and a massive sort of upgrade we saw from him as a run blocker. I don't even want to put like a ceiling on what this guy could be. Like he could just be a true X and he could just be Julio Jones replacement if they really wanted him to with Absolutely. their cap situation there. So we'll see. I definitely think that you, um, I definitely think that you have to think that the Kyle Pitts pick was made because they, they didn't have a trade opportunity that they liked. And I think Kyle Pitts at that position makes the most sense. So let's jump now. What's your take also, on yeah. Jamar Chase and say Bengals? That, that one, it's the Burrow, Burrow special. Like, yeah, you could get Penny Sewell. But Joe Burrow has a connection with a number one type of wide receiver. Penny Sewell's, I don't want to say they grow on trees, but it's like you can get, you can improve your offensive line elsewhere. You know that Jamar Chase is going to come in and be a number one receiver. With, like, you know what's going to happen because you saw it already. You saw him beat NFL corners at LSU already. Like you, so the assuredness you feel, and again, we see Aaron Rodgers, the talk of the pre-draft that we honestly fucking spent too much time on because I'm not sure it's a real uh, rumor at this point, but the Packers actually getting rid of Aaron Rodgers, actually trading Aaron Rodgers, or Rodgers retiring, whatever, because they didn't appease him, because they didn't do what he wanted, because they didn't build around him. The Bengals are doing what Joe Burrow wants here, and I, I got to respect it. They're in a great position to do so. I'm going to take a quick pivot here. I think my audio is affecting the live YouTube and live Twitter stream. I'm going to jump into the other room. Go ahead and preview pick six. The pick six, Miami Dolphins, I have to think they have some regret here in terms of they should not have been – they should not have made the move they did so far out. Like Jalen Waddle, were the Lions going to draft him? Were the Panthers going to draft him? Were the Broncos going to draft him here? Like to give up a first-round pick, to give up a 12th overall pick and whatever you're going to draft next year. You gave up all that for Jalen Waddle. Damn. Like, I'm not hating on the value here, but it's just like that's realistically what they did. They gave up the 12th overall pick and some change for Jalen Waddle in a wide receiver heavy class. So when Devontae Smith comes off the board at pick 10, where the Eagles, you know, who were at six, end up getting him. So I, I just think it was a little, they're going to look back and say, damn, we, we may have outsmarted ourselves there a little bit. You really think that they outsmarted themselves, though, going after Jalen Waddle? Do you think that Penesu, you're saying Panay Sewell is obviously the better pick? How do you think Jalen Waddle actually works into this offense? I think he's going to be – I think he's going to honestly replace Jakeem Grant's role. I think he's just a much, much better receiver all around than Jakeem Grant is. You obviously have Devontae Parker, Will Fuller on the outside. That's why he signed those two guys. But now Jalen Waddle is that slot, gadget – jet sweep, whatever you want to give him to, targets underneath, and then vertical threat in this offense. Now, you could throw out more speed in that offense now with Grant, Fuller, and him than any other offense, maybe in NFL history. Like, those guys cook. So, it's interesting what, like, Tua really doesn't have an excuse from a receiver talent perspective. Now, offensive line remains to be seen, but I think if you were going to stay at six, I I do like the pick. I think one of the more underrated picks in this draft is going to be the Detroit Lions taking Panay Sewell at number seven overall. I think everyone's going to overlook this pick because it wasn't the sexy pick. But, like, man, they're getting a legit 
blue chip offensive tackle prospect, the guy that, you know, Darius Butler on the live show said would be the guy he bets on to be a future Hall of Famer. I think a lot of people are going to overlook this. Look at Jalen Waddle, look at Jamar Chase, the Kyle Pitts pick. But then at seven, Detroit Lions, a rebuilding team, obviously, get arguably one of the better players in this draft. Yeah, and I love the investment. Like, you have a left tackle. A lot of teams will see a right tackle as less valuable. No, like it's not. You need two. If you got two, you got a good offensive line. Not a lot of bad offensive lines with two dominant tackles. And so Taylor Decker, Penny Sewell now, that's the makings of something special. You can, you can plug on the interior a lot easier than you can at tackle, and they look set for the foreseeable future and whoever's behind center. Man, oh man, I do think that I do think that the Detroit Lions, the Detroit Lions specifically, you know, committing to this rebuild. I think there was opportunities. I said it before the draft that they could potentially be the team that looks to trade down. But again, it comes back to you know, teams were looking to trade down. I, I think the quarterbacks are falling for a reason. We're going to get to that pick, obviously, with the Chicago Bears. Let's go ahead and jump now to J.C. Horn, South Carolina quarterback. Cornerback goes to the Carolina Panthers. I said it on the show. The Panthers run the lowest percentage of press coverage of any team in the NFL last year. He goes to Carolina. Is that because they have the worst cornerbacks last year and they didn't want to play a ton of press coverage? Do you imagine Carolina plays a lot more press with J.C. Horn there? I think so. I mean, you, you're not – no one's a – no D.C. is a fool. Uh, and it's going to – was it Phil Snow or what's – Snow, whatever, the D.C. there. You're not going to be a fool and throw out guys who aren't capable of doing it aren't capable of playing man coverage into a role like that. But I will say who they drafted last year, Troy Pride Jr., that's what he's that, – that was what he did best coming out of Notre Dame. That's like what he could develop into is that guy. So I think that's what they want to do. But, again, they're not going to – they're not going to do – if you play press man without the, the horses to do it, that's how you just get cooked on the outside. So they're, they're no dummies. But I think that's what kind of every team in the NFL would like to do. Would you have picked J.C. Horn at eight with the players that were available to them? Man, that one's tough. Obviously, we're going to say we like Justin Fields for a lot of teams. That's probably where I would have gone if I was Carolina Panthers. I also probably would have gone Rashawn Slater at this pick. That's who, if I'm picking a position player here, that's who I would have gone. All right, let's jump to Patrick Sertan of Alabama goes to Denver Broncos at nine. Both these cornerbacks come off the board, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan. Um, I, I, I'm so surprised that Patrick Sertan comes off the board when, you know, the Denver Broncos, you know, strength at a strength, you know, Ronald Darby already there. They have a lot of other Bryce Callahan. They have a lot of really good secondary help. Vic Fangio is like a kid at a candy store at this point with a ton of cornerback depth. Yeah. They, they know what division they're in. You know, they, they know they have to beat Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert now four times a year. How do you stop those guys? Corners. You get more corners to match up. That's what this pick is. And, I love it because of that. Like, I, I think that's a sound strategy that we've seen work across the NFL. So, uh, obviously, the free agents they've signed, free agency, not a long-term commitment. Not, not that's going to impact them this year. Ronald Darby, Kyle Fuller, maybe not necessarily in years to come. Sertan, cornerstone type of piece. What's your opinion? Next pick here, Devontae Smith. I think the you know, Philadelphia Eagles trade up from 12 to 10. They give up the number 84 overall pick to make that decision to come up. They add Devontae Smith with Jalen Hurts, with Jalen Rager. Do you think this was worth the trade up one? And do you think the Philadelphia Eagles were smart to lock into Devontae Smith? Yes. I think the minimal amount they had to give up. And it's still something, but yeah. Smith's a dude. Like Smith, Smith's going to be good. Compare him as a prospect to Rager coming out last year it's like Rager could develop into you know a home run threat like he has mm -hmm. that playmaking explosiveness he's not a all-around route runner 
Devontae Smith is. Devontae Smith is the guy you go to when it's third and five and you need someone to run a slant or a dig or whatever. That's the guy. So uh, they had – and they straight up didn't have that guy. So um, well done on their part. So like I said, they Miami and the Eagles, to so look back at those two trades, look back at, I guess, that one trade, and to see how both came away in this draft, you have to be thinking that the Eagles pulled off a fleecing there. Yep. I, I think the Eagles might have. Because I think at the, at the time when we were on the draft show, people were like, oh, man, you're giving up a third-round pick to come up. But to go get – Devontae Smith, I don't think it was that much to give up for Devontae Smith to move up two spots. Make sure you get him ahead of Dave Gettleman, obviously sitting there at 11. And if you look at what the Giants did at 11, you know, they wanted Devontae Smith. If you're looking at it from the outside looking in, they trade out at the 11 after Devontae Smith goes at 10 and then let Chicago come all the way up from 20 to 11. They trade just one future first-round pick. I know there's some change in addition to that. I think it's 2022 fourth and some other things. But just one future first-round pick to go up from 20 to 11 and grab arguably – you know, some people see him as the number two quarterback in this class. On PFF's draft board, he's number three. Justin Fields, man. I said it during the show. I'm going to say it again. This is the steal of the draft by far. By far, my favorite pick of the draft. This is awesome for Chicago. Yeah, I- I'm going to need some explanation. Yeah, I'm going to need <laughs> someone to come out and tell me how the hell someone as talented as Justin Fields falls to pick 11. When, when everyone needs a quarterback, when everyone – like how the Panthers, how the Broncos can evaluate their respective situations, evaluate Justin Fields and just be like, we're good. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Fuck Fields. We're good. It's like I, I can't imagine that. And the Bears obviously felt differently. And, and it also got to a point where it wasn't that much for the Bears. Now, they're going to have – he's going to be their only first-round pick in a four-year stretch. That's tough. It's tough to build a roster with – that guy being your only first-round pick. But if you're going to have one guy be a first-round pick, quarterback's a good one to have. You can still win when that guy's cheap. Like, your window might not be right now. I'm not sure he comes in and necessarily saves Matt Nagy's job, but it wasn't a complete mortgaging of the future to try to save their jobs. It was a very measured and reasonable move considering how far he had fallen. I agree wholeheartedly. That was, you know, what we thought going into this is that if Chicago was going to trade up for one of these quarterbacks, one of the top three quarterbacks, they were going to have to send the farm, you know, two, three future first round picks, Khalil Mack potentially to go up and get it. The fact that they only had to trade one future first rounder to go up that far, I think was really, really impressive. Now at 12, you know, Dallas Cowboys trade back from 10 to 12. And then they have, obviously, Micah Parsons there available to them. They take Micah Parsons. I saw some members of Cowboys Twitter really upset with this selection, not loving the positional value of Micah Parsons. He was, what you said, one of the only blue-chip defensive players in this class. Do you think this was a solid pick for Dallas? Yeah, I do. Like, I think he's a game-changing linebacker. I think he does things that, you know, linebacker is kind of the opposite of tight end, where we talk about there's not opposite, but the defensive version of tight end. There's three tight ends that really move the needle. There's maybe like five or six linebackers that really move the needle. Michael Parsons is one of those dudes. He just he is four three nine speed. The way he attacks blocks downhill, like the way he attacks ball carriers in space, it's just if that guy doesn't translate to the NFL, I, I might have to quit. I might have to find a new line of work. Like he's that good. So uh, yeah, it's not necessarily your biggest need. You had Jalen Smith, guy Leighton Vanderesh there. It, it might not. You know, be the cornerback that you wanted across from Trayvon Diggs, but you got like a damn good football player. And like I said, he's going to be an impact type of linebacker. 
All right, pick 13, Rashawn Slater. This was one of the chalkier picks. I think so many people oh, yeah. mock Rashawn Slater to the Los Angeles Chargers at 13. He's available to them, according to PFF's draft tracker, an elite grade for this pick. And I honestly agree. Rashawn Slater at 13, very good value for the Chargers at a position of need. This one had to be, I, I want like a clock on how quickly a team actually turns in the card because they, <laughs> it's always that you always use the full time and then the pick gets announced. But this one, the charges, when they're on the clock, with Sean Slater sitting there staring at him in the face, that name had to be on the card within about 10 seconds because there was no other option at this point. Once Rashawn Slater's there, you're taking Rashawn Slater and you're plugging him in at left tackle and you're feeling amazing about the fact that you got him at pick 13. All righty. Moving on to pick 14, Elijah Vera Tucker, New York Jets. They take him at 14. They traded up to go get him. Yes. A lot of people like Elijah Vera Tucker. He's a little bit lower on PFF's board because of positional value. But Elijah Vera Tucker, like him for a reason, one of the higher floor prospects in this class. Your opinion of that pick and that trade-up overall? Yeah, I mean, he's plug-and-play guard. I like, guess guy mm-hmm. can be a Pro Bowl guard year two. He's that good. He really is. Um it's just he gave up a lot for a Pro Bowl guard, like for a guy at that position. Now, is he a tackle, 32 and 8th inch arms? Give him a shot, sure, by all means. Like, I think he played tackle better than George Fant. I'll tell you that for sure. But I think the plan is probably just him, Mekhi Becton, solidify the left side, make sure Zach Wilson's blind side is just completely clean year one. And I get, I get the strategy, I get why you would do something like that. They got, they got a lot of other holes in this roster, though, like one guard. Not not moving the needle bigly enough for me to make this move, especially when, as we'll get to a little later on, the guy who came off the board at number 23 where the Vikings, where they were initially, it's a pretty damn good offensive tackle in his own right. Yeah, I honestly thought when the Vikings were picking here, they were going to take Darisol. And then you see, you know, the New York Jets come up and they grab Elijah Vera Tucker at 14. And then we'll obviously later, like you said, you kind of teased it a bit, but Darisol coming off the board a bit later to the Vikings at 15. Mac Jones. He does not go at number three overall, despite being minus 350 at one point to be Uh, the San Francisco 49ers quarterback. He falls 215. I think a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, San Francisco doesn't have Mac Jones, and this pick kind of got overlooked. Do you think this is a good investment for New England? My thought immediately was, you know, I thought this was going to be a completely different offense. The offense you run with Cam Newton is going to be different than the offense you run with Mac Jones. Who do you ultimately think starts week one, and do you like this decision from New England? I think Cam starts week one. I think that's kind of where they built this is for him. And Mac is just in waiting. Like Mac is Mac is the guy who's cheap to make it all work, you know, to make the mm-hmm. spending spree work and to you know learn that system because like Steve was saying on the show, it's not it's complex. Like it, it ain't just, yeah, Mac Jones, super cerebral dude, whatever you want to say about him and his ability to master that Alabama offense. It's a brand new offense and a brand new scheme that it's gonna take a minute to master and the coverage of the NFL level are going to take a little bit longer to master too. So I do think that he is not going to come in right away and be, I think it is Cam Newton's team, but it's, again, a play they had to make, and I really like to pick, like to not give up. Everyone else gave up draft capital to do so. They don't give up a damn thing and get a guy that they think can fit their system. All right, let's jump now to pick 16. This was kind of a surprise. I think we overlooked it kind of initially on the show, but Saban Collins, linebacker of Tulsa, comes off the board as the second linebacker in the draft. He goes to the Arizona Cardinals at pick 16. I'll tell you what, I saw a lot of mock drafts. I never saw the Arizona Cardinals taking Saban Collins of Tulsa at 16. Do you really? It just just popped up today. Like I saw like three today. Oh, really? Leaked that they, for some reason, love Saban Collins. 
couldn't tell you necessarily why. Like you just draft, you just draft Isaiah Simmons last year, and, and maybe you want to run this super multiple hybrid whatever defense where he's going to come down and rush, and then Isaiah Simmons is going to drop to safety. And I don't know what the fuck you're going to do because there are vastly different body types and skill sets at the linebacker position. It's interesting. You still got a shit secondary. Like you still got bad corners though on the yeah. outside, and that's the worry here now. Was the corner value great there? I, I probably would have gone Greg Newsom if I really was desperate for a corner before I go Zayvon Collins. But I'll, I'll hold off judgment because we said Collins one of the most scheme-specific players in the draft. Mm-hmm. His skill set, not going to be replicatable. 6'5", 260, don't grow on trees. That moves like that. So I'll be interested to see how they use him out there in Arizona. Yeah, he was the 36th-ranked player on PFF's draft board. He goes at 16 to the Arizona Cardinals. A little bit of a shocker for me. Obviously, he was in some mock drafts, like you said, today. But in previous days, previous weeks, I did not see Zayvon Collins to Arizona. Another player I did not see getting mocked really inside the first 20 picks or to Las Vegas was Alex Leatherwood. Alabama off the tackle did not have a good senior bowl, was the 40th-ranked player on PFF's draft board. There's a lot that needs to get better with Alex Leatherwood, you know, before you start to feel really confident about him being a top 20 pick, especially, especially with Christian Derisaw, the Virginia Tech offensive tackle, still on the board, him and Dylan Radins and Walker Little, other offensive tackles that were ranked ahead of Alex Leatherwood. Some people see him as a guard. The Raiders do it again. One of the biggest consensus reaches of the 2021 NFL draft. I mean, this is a head scratcher for sure. Yeah. I mean, this is just, it's business as usual. It's been, it's, it's every first round since, Gruden took over. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a report yeah, that no... it's Tom Cable's favorite player in the draft. My God. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't really, everyone's has the same take. Like there's, I don't think anyone's like seeing Fair. that pick and it's like, yeah, he was, you know, 12th on my board. What a steal. No, like everyone's like, he's kind of a project. Like he, if you keep him at tackle, there might be issues and there were yeah. like serious issues. So, Whew. Oh. Yeah. All right, Miami, they keep Jalen Phillips in Miami. They take him at 18, the 27th-ranked overall player on our board. I still really like this pick, maybe a bit of a reach when you consider this edge class, but I think you're going to have to reach for athleticism and rare physical tools that Jalen Phillips brings to the table. Yeah, yeah, I I think he fits this defense. He's the most most likely defensive end to make an immediate impact, in my mind. I I think from day one, he can provide – he can actually – provide a pass rush like it actually beat nfl tackles with this skill set now we are lower on him because the injuries and obviously a guy retiring from football already hesitant to really go to bat for that uh but i think they got the like i said the the most likely guy to make an impact and they they can take a swing like that they got a lot of picks Mm -hmm. All right, Jamin Davis, Kentucky linebacker, PFS 41st ranked player on the draft board. He goes at 19 to Washington. This is another guy where when you test as well as Jamin Davis did, you're going to go high in the NFL draft. They draft rare physical tools. Teams draft rare physical tools early. Not necessarily the most valuable position, but you're getting an absolute physical freak. Did he play a ton at Kentucky? No, that's the biggest question mark for us. The fewest total snaps played in his career of any of PFS top six linebacker prospects. He goes at 19 to Washington. Man, this Washington football team. Now, obviously, he's not – we weren't super high on him. I think he's still a project at linebacker. Um, that's why he didn't you – know, I don't think that's why he didn't start until his redshirt junior year. But getting off the bus, all-time getting off the bus team. Him, Jamin Davis, you haven't seen a picture of this dude, just yoked out of his mind. Like yes. 234 pounds, 
not an ounce of fat in the dude. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, like true outrageous athletes for their respective positions. Um, that's just going to be – it's a fun it's a fun front seven, man. Absolutely. I mean, we said it before, how fun would a pick be like Michael Parsons to the front seven yep. and then I'm taking Jamie Davis, which I think Close, is also pretty closest. damn sick. Yeah. Um, let's go to 20 here. This one was interesting. I, I, I like them taking a receiver. I thought they would take Devontae Smith at 11. They obviously traded back with the Chicago Bears to go from 11 to 20. And they take a receiver, and I, I like Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony, you said it on the show, most dynamic receiver in this class. What he can do with the ball in his hands is ridiculous, stupid. But I didn't think necessarily that this would be the type of receiver the Giants were after. I thought they were more interested in the guy with more polish, more consistency on the outside. You're yeah. getting a guy that you're going to have to scheme targets, I think, at least out of the gate, could develop into something great down the road. But still, what's your overall thought on Kadarius Tony to the Giants at 20? Yeah, I was just say it just doesn't really fit. Like you look at the Giants' offense last year; they weren't like a, they weren't like an offense that would could utilize a you know gadgety player seemingly. Like they're they're using their super uber athletic tight end on like six yard outs and stuff, and like they have these freaks. Like they have one of the most athletic tight ends. They have one of the most athletic running backs. Now they have one of the most athletic wide receivers. And I just feel like if you're going to play him as your number two, which Drafting a guy at number 20 overall, he better damn well be your number two wide receiver. Like, he better damn well be getting serious snaps, not coming off the football field immediately. Um, yeah, I think you're going to be sorely mistaken right out the gate if that's what you're going to try to ask him to do. All right, jumping now to the next pick here at 21. One of our favorite players in the draft, Quiddy Pay, goes to the Indianapolis Colts at 21. One of the more athletic players in this class, a guy with a ton of quote-unquote upside. I think he gets a lot better in the NFL. His ceiling projection, if he hits it, is absurd. I think he's that guy with that rare physical skill set that coming after Jalen Phillips, you know, the other edge that was taken at 18, I really like this pick for Indy. Yeah, it was edge one. I think it's out of the show. Chris Ballard. Been, dra- been the day two edge king. I think he's drafted four of them in his tenure. None have worked out uh, because the guys that got it, the NFL sees it. Like the guys with Quiddy Pay's level of athleticism don't last the second round. They don't last the mid-second because everyone can see that on tape, and that's what develops. So, you know, the guys like Taekwon Lewis, Ben Banigou, uh, the Rutgers, Kamoko Ture. They haven't, haven't gotten the job done. Um, Quiddy Pay, I think he's going to get the job done. At 22, Caleb Farley, PFF CB1, the top cornerback in this class before the second back surgery was announced. Yeah. He falls to 22 to the Tennessee Titans, number 23 overall player. If he medically checks out and can play full 17-game seasons over the course of his rookie career, this is going to be one of those picks we look back on like, man, why did this guy fall? I mean, I don't think we're going to ask that because we know why he fell. <laughs> true. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. But I will say, Jeffrey Simmons, torn ACL, false pick 19. Looking back, they do it again in a heartbeat. Caleb Farley, back issues, falls to pick 22. If it's good, if he's healthy, everyone's going to be looking back and saying, what a fucking steal. Because he's that talented. Top 10 player in this class, if not, if he doesn't have the back issue. But – Obviously, that's just kind of your the tread bulky method. That's what he did in San Francisco, and he hit on some of those, and he didn't hit on some of those. And that's just the way injuries work. That's why a lot of teams are risk averse in that manner because those are valuable picks. You can't have your guy standing on the hood of a car, and you can't have your guy getting back surgery at the end of year one either. 
All right, I think this is going to be one of my favorite picks of the first round. I think Justin Fields is my favorite right now. But my second favorite, I think, is Christian Derisaw. Minnesota Vikings trade back from 14 to 23, pick up a, a haul in return, and still land PFF's offensive tackle three, a top 15 player on PFF's draft board. Christian Derisaw of Virginia Tech. We gave this an elite grade in the PFF draft tracker. I am a huge, massive fan of this pick. Oh, and to get more picks in return. It's to awesome. Get, to get Christian Derisaw. Mm, like, that's how you draft. That's, that's, what, that's the PFF way right there. That is what we advocate. That is how you hit home runs. That is how you change a franchise. So lo- love the pick, love the fit, love the value. Yeah, one of the best, one of the best in the first round, easy. All right, let's take these picks on back-to-back. Najee Harris, Alabama running back, goes to the Pittsburgh Steelers at 24. And then we see Travis Etienne, Clemson running back, goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars at 25. First, I'd like to say I apologize for hammering the running back and positional value on the draft show. We need to spend more time on what these players are. Like Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are fantastic backs. Two of the best backs in in this class, two really, really productive players in their own right. I think Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, it's not that the running backs aren't good. It's just from the value perspective, when you look at positional value, it's just a bit of a reach every single time when you look at a PFF draft board. Yeah, Harris, really good feet, exceptional ball skills. Like he reminds them of Le'Veon Bell. Has to. Le'Veon Bell is probably like Absolutely. that is why you're yes. that is why you're drafting him. But I will say Le'Veon Bell came out 230. Najee Harris came out 230. Le'Veon Bell lost about 15 pounds after his rookie year, got yoked, and then he changed into a different running back altogether. I'm not sure there's any 15 pounds for Najee Harris to lose and then gain that second gear of explosiveness. I just think he's kind of going to be a limited dude in terms of hitting home runs. Now, he can bang between the tackles. I feel good about that day one. But he's not going to be able to overcome, not a lot of people are, an offensive line as shitty as the Steelers is right now. So we'll see what they can do to fix it. But you don't have a left tackle. Um you don't really That's have the crazy it. part. Like Tevin Jenkins, Dylan Raiden, Sam Cosme still on the board. I know they didn't have a chance at Alex Leatherwood. Raiders kept him from that. But still, I feel like there's an opportunity here yeah. to get better along the offensive line. Like the opportunity cost just kills me. What about Travis Etienne? I know you said off air before we jumped on here that you feel like he could actually be used well in Urban Meyer's offense. Yeah, I just think back to how he used Curtis Samuel um, when he was coming out at Ohio State, obviously. And it was kind of – like they would go, the running back wheel was a massive part. And those, those wide, you know, the fast, the fast four, fast three, where you get the running back moving at the snap to either, you know, influence a linebacker, fake a screen, whatever speed plays at, at that. And if you're really utilizing a guy to threaten that, like he is a different animal as a running back for those sort of concepts than James Robinson would be. Robinson ran four, six coming out. Now an explosive dude, you can make you miss in the hole but he can't run past the linebacker. Travis Etienne can do that. So if you're going to be getting a vertical, going to be getting involved in the passing game a lot, which very well may be the case. Like I, I, I'm withholding judgment. This dude can, he can be worthy of this pick. If that is how, if you're using him in that manner, not a lot of teams do. And I'm not even sure they're going to, but that's what I'm saying. Like that, that is what he brings to the table that again, you're not going to find, in the second, third, fourth round, because Travis Etienne runs a 4-4, is the most explosive running back from a standstill and has legit ball skills now to make an impact in that offense. Moving to a pick that we praised a ton on the mm. show, Greg Newsom, quarterback of Northwestern, goes to Andrew Barry's Cleveland Browns. This is another pick that I really do like for Cleveland. Good business. My guy, like straight up 
one of the best picks, my favorite pick of the first round. I'll just say it. He's a super valuable position. He has ridiculously good feet. He, in my opinion, if we just saw more of it, if we just, if you just could have seen him against some real competition a little more, I think he could have been cornerback one of the PFF draft board. But it's just like we believe in sample sizes. Six games this past year of really seeing that play. I'm not gonna. Not going to buy in, especially over guys like Horn and Sertan that you've seen it for three years now. Um, but Newsom is he's that dude, man. He, he is a real deal cornerback, and I think from day one, like, I think he can translate right out the game. All right, number 27, the Baltimore Ravens. Mike, you and I on this podcast talked about it a ton, about Rashad Bateman in Minnesota dude. being such a good fit for Baltimore. They take him at 27. I freaking love this pick. How about the two? So 27, Rashad Bateman. 31, Jason Owe. The mock I had that came out yesterday, that's who I had them picking at those that's exact fantastic. spots. <laughs> Nailed those. Because that was the fits we kept saying. Bateman, ball skills, catch radius that Lamar Jackson needs. Like, that is what they need. That's what they've been missing. Owe. No one develops edge talent better. Yep, the free, so the freaks are, like they, they are. They have had so much success. And in that defense, his athleticism can just play from day one. No fit. one develops Boom. edge defender better. You know, no one develops edge talent better than Baltimore. I think that's the biggest. I love that fit for so, Jason. Someone, for, for Jason to call me on that. Too. So, yeah, say someone it. tried to, like, say that, like, Kansas City and someone else. And I'm like, go, just go back and look at who they drafted on the edge. Guys like Matthew Judon this past year, Zadarius Smith, uh, Pernell McPhee. Where they drafted those guys? Guys don't hit in those rounds. They don't they, – they rarely draft. I think the last edge defender they drafted, like, round one, maybe Sergio Kendall, and the only reason he failed was, I think, that motorcycle accident he had right after he got drafted. So, like, they have a very strong track record at that position. Um, so, uh, I, I, Jason Elway, like you said, couldn't have gone to a better spot. All right, jumping now to pick 28. This was a bit of a surprise for me. I know you're a big Peyton Turner fan, yeah, but are you a fan at 28? He was the 58th-ranked player on PFS draft board. I'm not going to question the Saints scouting department. They know their shit. And now Turner's another guy who, if we could have just seen some more of them this year, because the light switch flipped on. Like, was he a different dude this year as a senior than he was as a junior? Four games, though. Four games of it. It's just like, I, I wish we could have seen more. So I, I was, he was the guy in this draft where I was like, I'm high on him. And that's still a little too high for me. Uh, the good news is you'll have a good sort of situation to develop behind Cameron Jordan, behind Marcus Davenport, similarly tooled edge rushers. You know, like he, he can learn from them and how to attack. And now he has that attacking instinct. Like he fights offensive tackles with violence, play after play after play, but is just kind of still not quite there. And the versatility will be key, though. I think he'll be like an interior rusher on third downs, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I said that on the show. Like, the biggest thing he said teams liked about his game was his versatility. I think you know, New Orleans plans to play him up and down the line of scrimmage. The other thing I'll mention, too, and I want your opinion, you know, I, thought, I thought he'd show up more at the Senior Bowl. I, I was hoping he'd do better in the one-on-ones. What was your opinion of his Senior Bowl stuff? Yeah, I didn't think he looked great, actually, as rushing on the interior there at the Senior Bowl. Now, frame for days to get it done, and that was only probably like five reps that he did it, but, uh, but he didn't uh, have too much success there. Fair. All right, jumping now to pick 29, your Green Bay Packers, Eric Stokes, comes off the board, PFF 72nd ranked player. I think if you purely went off the draft board, this would be the biggest reach of the first round. 
72nd ranked player on PFF's draft board. That's Eric Stokes, Georgia cornerback. I'll let you take the reins. Why do you think the Green Bay Packers wanted <laughs> Eric Stokes? And then the other thing is, you know, what's what's the high end for Eric Stokes and what's the floor for Eric Stokes? Yeah, things did not go great for your boy. You got the rest of the NFC North. You got the Lions getting Penny Sewell, the Bears getting Justin Fields, the Vikings we just talked about fleecing for Christian Derrissaw, and then the Packers, Aaron Rodgers might retire, and they draft the single biggest PFF reach. Now, I will say this about Stokes. Fast as hell. Ridiculous build for a cornerback. Six foot tall but almost 33-inch arms. Like, he is long, seemingly always at the catch point is to steal Steve Palazzolo's term about him. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see that as much. Like, I question his balance, his tightness. He's going to a vastly different scheme is the other thing. I think you mentioned his press man ability. That's what Georgia does. That is not what the Green Bay Packers are about to do under Joe Barry. They're mm-hmm. going to run off zone. Now, he's a fantastic tackler. That is probably the one thing where it's like, that guy – Coming up, tackling, attacking like screens, that sort of thing. That's his bread and butter. He can do that. Five missed tackles his entire college career, three years as a starter there. So I think from that perspective, you like that if you're a Packers fan. I'm just curious what he's going to look like in that scheme, though, comparatively. Um, because I think you said it, like his best skill was kind of press man and ability at the line of scrimmage with that wingspan. What's it going to look like in off coverage? I, I just didn't see when he did. I, I didn't think it was exceptional like compare him to Asante Samuel Asante Samuel and off coverage and it's not even close to my eyes but we shall see uh I, I, they, they've had worse picks like last year in the first round mm-hmm. no yeah that's that's fair enough uh looking at this uh, last bit here and I know we talked a little bit about the away pick we had a run on some edge defenders you know yep. Gregory Russo of Miami goes at pick 30 to the Bills and then you said it Jason OA of Penn State goes to Baltimore at 31 and then Joe Tryon of Washington goes at 32 start with Rousseau for me what's your opinion of that pick yeah Rousseau wild card like these Rousseau and Tryon such wild cards with their physical tools and just you don't know because you didn't see it. It, it, like the whole year off is really such a big thing with Absolutely. those two guys because they were they weren't they weren't Panay Sewell. They weren't Micah Parsons. They weren't that good. You know, the last time we saw them on a football field, they weren't that utterly dominant. And that's sure at their position where it's like, okay, we didn't need to see your 2020 tape. It's like, no, we needed to see your 2020 tape. We needed to see if you could improve at the things you were deficient on prior. It's not everyone can. Like, not everyone's capable. And the Rousseau one's, like, curious to me in that I do think he's not going to be ever a true edge. But I do think that he can grow into, like, a nice – interior piece and i think that's where he's on his trajectory like he gained a lot of weight obviously over the course of that last season Tryon's the one where it's just i'm gonna need to see it to believe it because what we saw last time he was on tape at washington was just kind of meh to me i think both these guys are gonna you know have some different bodies when we had gregory rousseau on the podcast you should go back and listen to it if you haven't already he talked about how he could get into a weight towards Calais Camel range. You know, he could get up to yeah. you know, 270, 270 you know, 280 or whatever it was. Like he could be that interior defensive lineman for your football team. And I think that's where he projects best, to be honest. And I think we mentioned that a little bit on the show. But you go back to his season, I think an interesting stat is that more than 50% you know, in that 16-sack season or whatever that was as a retro freshman at Miami, Florida, in that season, over 50% of his pressures 
came as unblocked or cleanup or slash pursuit pressures, according to PFF. Those are effort pressures. Those are effort sacks and obviously unblocked sacks. I think that was the highest of any edge defender or top-ranked edge defender in this class. And then for Tryon, he told us on this podcast as well, is that he's completely changed his diet and his body looks completely different. You know, uh, Levi Wuzrike, his former teammate, told me he looks as quote-unquote Big as shit. And I think he does. I mean, this is a different player. Joe Tryon yeah. will legitimately be a different player than what we last saw. Will his pass rush moves be better? You know, will his on foot, you know, on the football field technique and those things be better? We still have yet to see, but from an athleticism, I think that's going to be improved. From a size standpoint, that's going to be improved. I'm interested to see what Joe Tryon looks like in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. All right, let's close real quickly here. Last five to ten minutes or so. Tell me your a couple of your your favorite overall pick in the first round and a handful of others you really liked. Yeah, I mean, all of our favorite picks, Justin Fields, Bears, like that. What a match. Like, what, what an absolute match and what a steal at 11. So outside of the quarterback position, though, I, I think it's got to be Greg Newsom, the Cleveland Browns. This immediately gives them I mean, Super Bowl potential. Now, AFC is tough. Um, you're going to have to go through some good teams. But they got the horses on the back end now to do it. You know, with all they added in free agency – with Troy Hill, John Johnson, Greedy Williams coming back, Grant Delpit coming back. This secondary could be, I mean, it could be fucking good. Like, it yeah. really could be. And so to get him at pick 26, you got everything. You got the, you got the ingredients for a, for a, you know, three-star Michelin meal here. You just got, got to have the chef whip it up. I agree. I think my favorite pick, obviously, was Justin Fields to the Chicago Bears. I called it the steal of the draft, and then I mentioned this one as well. My second favorite pick, probably Christian Derisaw after the trade down to Minnesota. Let's preview preview the best available players left ahead of day two. Yeah, so the best available players left, I, I really cannot believe that this guy didn't come off the board, uh, and it's Notre Dame linebacker Jeremiah Wuscormo. Um like, That's what everyone wants at the linebacker position. like That hybrid coverage versatility – doesn't come around uh, a lot. So I'm very surprised he's still around just based off the PFF draft board, though. Christian Barmore, top-ranked player of the defense tackle from Alabama, thought he was going to go. Number 12 on the PFF board. That would have broken the record. That would have broken the record for most first-rounders from a single school. Now, Alabama tied it. Do you know who – do you know, Austin, who has the record that they tied? Um, I do not know. Oh. Come on. Is it – no, I don't. Notre Dame? Jesus. Now, 04 Miami. 04 Miami, it was Sean Taylor, then Kellen Winslow. Sean Taylor, RIP. Kellen Winslow. I wish you could trade places with Sean Taylor. Um, then you had, oh gosh, it was Jonathan Vilma, DJ Williams, Vernon Carey, and Vince Wilfork. What an absolute draft class. So they tied them. Alabama was six first rounders. Landon Dickerson, Christian Barmore, sadly didn't go. Next guy in the PFF draft board, though, Trayvon Merrig. TCU safety, 16 overall. Elijah Moore, wide receiver from Ole Miss. He was 22 overall in the PFF draft board. Like, that's some real deal talent right there that mm-hmm. you can have a few more guys in the top 32 on PFF's draft board. Walker Little, Stanford tackle, Terrace Marshall, LSU wide receiver, Sante Samuel, the Florida State corner, Zizo Jalari, who had the injury issues apparently is why he's falling the Georgia edge, Tevin Jenkins, Oklahoma State tackle, and Dylan Raidens, the North Dakota State tackle. So there's players. Like, there's players here at the top that we like a lot that teams like the Jaguars, Jets, Bengals that we've been talking about, like teams that need to rebuild here, reload, can get some quality. Big fan of Barmore, big fan of Merrick, Elijah Moore. And then you look at the tackle group, Walker Little, 
Tevin Jenkins, Dylan Raidens. I think the Cincinnati Bengals, big winners that they get their hands on one of those after taking Jamar Chase at five. But we'll get Miami into Dolphins that. too. Miami Dolphins too. Thirty-six. If they don't, if they don't dip their toe into this tackle class, true. Tevin Jenkins. That, I think they'd be crazy not to. Cannot wait for tomorrow. Make sure you go to pff.com, YouTube, or Twitter to check out our live draft coverage. That starts at 6 o'clock tomorrow. I believe the draft starts at 7. We're going to be doing the pregame hour at 6 o'clock and pff.com. Also, use promo code DRAFT30. DRAFT30 to save uh, 30% off on any PFF subscription. I'm going to also say this. Apologize for any of the audio inconsistencies. We're grinding it out here at 120 in the morning trying to make everything work, get this thing up. But until next time, Austin Gale, Mike.